This Botanical Black History episode is brought to you by Black in the Garden in partnership with our friends at the Atlanta History Center. Welcome to the intersection of Black culture and horticulture with your girl, Cola B. Talking. And guess what, y'all? We Black in the Garden. have arrived at the intersection of Black culture and horticulture with your girl, Cola B. Talkin, hostess with the mostest of Black in the Garden. Hey, soil cousins and history buffs, I am so glad to have you here with me on this very special episode of Black in the Garden as your host, Cola B. Talkin, the hostess with the mostest of the Black in the Garden podcast that I have been hosting since 2019, for those of y'all who know. For those of you who don't, you know, you are truly in for a treat because you're listening to a garden show unlike any that you've heard before. You may have heard other gardening shows, but not like this. We are specifically enjoying the celebration of being at the intersection of Black culture and horticulture. We get into the past present and the future of all things related to Black people with plants. You want to talk about horticulture? We got you. Agriculture, check that box, okay? Landscaping stuff, like we we do all the things. So you have a lot to look forward to in continuing to stay tuned to the show. And um, you can go back about 80 episodes deep to really get a feel for the vibes of this thing. And you are truly in for a treat. Like it cannot be overstated as you join me here at the intersection of Black culture and horticulture. So, uh, you know, sometimes when we are at the intersection of Black culture and horticulture, we need to just take a little bit of break. There's a lot going on at that intersection. <laughs> and, you know, seasons change, the sun, it be sunning. And, you know, sometimes I want to go out and frolic and, and see what all is in bloom. But I would be remiss if I didn't come back on this very platform that is Black in the Garden to talk to my soil cousins about that. And for those of you who are new and maybe not be aware, soil cousins is our very inclusive way of referring to everybody who is in the Black in the Garden community. You know, the soil connects us. We're all growing together. We're having a good time. As long as you're tuning to me, are you listening to the sound of my voice? Can you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? then you will enjoy yourself here with us on Black in the Garden. All right. So yeah, we took a break and now we are here. I feel rested. All right. Had to get rooted, make sure I watered myself, but I am grateful for everyone for sticking with us. And you know, one of the best ways to keep this show going is by telling all your friends about it. Have you told a friend yet? Have you texted somebody? Get your phone out right now if your hands are free. And go ahead and share the link that you are listening on with a friend, family member, maybe an enemy. I don't know your life, but everybody deserves to enjoy what we're getting into here today. So I just want to take a quick note about some language that we'll be using as we discuss uh, some historical things. You know, when it comes to conversations that involve history, especially when it comes to uh, what was formerly known as 
slavery, or I guess we still call it slavery. I'm just speaking from the heart so you understand that it is still an adjustment for me to make. But I just want us to understand that there are certain key terms that we may have been accustomed to using, such as referring to uh, enslaved African-Americans as they were bought on the transatlantic slave trade to America. They may have been referred to as slaves. That is more speaking to their circumstance than uh, what they were. That's more so calling them the thing that was actually indicative of their circumstance. That's what I'm trying to say. So uh, for that reason, we will be referring to what we used to say slaves, we will be referring to as enslaved people. And when it comes to their quest for freedom, their unyielding desire and passion to free themselves, rather than calling them runaways, we will be referring to them as freedom seekers. And I really love that language. So uh, I hope that you do too, and that you understand that for all intents and purposes, I will be doing my best. And I hope that you will do your best to make that adjustment to our language as we discuss these subject matters, because we're going to be talking about Harriet Tubman, the Underground Railroad. We're really, we're going to get on a very incredible journey today. We're going on a very thrilling journey. You know, we like all the words that pull you in. Uh, (laughs) We're going to get into the remarkable life of Harriet Tubman, her unsung expertise as a naturalist who had a very noteworthy relationship with her natural environment. And that is putting it very mildly. Listen, so we know, we know somewhat, I would say we know a lot, but that would be lying. But we do know enough about Harriet Tubman's contribution to freedom. Um, But we're going to get into how it relates to her expertise in a few key areas. Those four things being cooking, foraging, herbalism, and ornithology. Raise your hand if you know what ornithology is. I don't really have a treat for you, but you get the pleasure of knowing that you knew what I'm about to say, which is that ornithology is the study of birds, okay? It is true for those who are not aware, which I'm ho- I hope I'm teaching you something, that ornithology is the study of birds and Harriet Tubman was actually very proficient in communicating with them because she understood their calls in particular, and also mimic them. But I'm getting ahead of myself. (laughs) Y'all can tell how excited I am. So we're going to get into that soon. Harry Tubman's extensive toolkit is what allowed her to navigate through the very treacherous paths of the Underground Railroad. And she did so using those four particular skills that that we are discussing today. She did so using those four particular skills that we are discussing today. And that is basically including but not limited to those skills because she definitely was fluent in so many other areas of expertise that lent very well to navigating and surviving in the natural world. And it's not like she was just out there by herself. We also know it to be true that she was tending to the needs of her fellow freedom seekers who she was leading to freedom. So I hope that you're excited by considering some of the ways that nature has played a part in surviving those historic journeys that we refer to when we consider 
what the experience was like for the under for those who took part actively in escaping from their bondage via the Underground Railroad. So this is a celebration of Juneteenth because we are getting into, you know, one of those conversations that celebrates the whole pursuit of freedom. So we'll just take a moment to define Juneteenth because why not? My definition, if you ask me, and you're listening to me, so I figure you, you'd be curious to know what I think. But Juneteenth is a holiday that is commemorating the emancipation, we love big words around here, the emancipation or freeing of enslaved African Americans and the enslaved people as far west as Galveston, Texas, were not aware that they were free until June 19th, 1865. And this is all pretty much like the essence of the story of Juneteenth being that although freedom was officially proclaimed to be the law of the land, it was still being held out as uh, basically a secret by those who were not aware at the official onset. So you feel what I'm saying? Juneteenth is a celebration of everybody officially knowing about the freedom and getting to participate in that way. As we are connecting this with the history and what we understand and acknowledge about the legacy of Harriet Tubman being a relentless freedom seeker who had dedicated her life to liberating others from the bonds of slavery with courage and ingenuity and unwavering determination that truly symbolizes the spirit of Juneteenth. And it's the celebration of the triumph over oppression and the pursuit of freedom that, listen, we cannot get enough of that. Her legacy is such an amazing reminder of the resilience and the strength of those who fought for liberty and the justice that they truly deserved being having the ability to have freedom. You're going to hear that word a lot <laughs> as she continues to inspire generations resonating deeply with all who connect with it to this day. Now, let's take a moment to do our best to embody a moment or just try to get into the vibe of one of the moments that, let's just breathe with me. Close your eyes, breathe. Take in nature around you. You're outside, you're in a calm and serene natural setting. Consider wherever your favorite natural space is, perhaps a peaceful forest. That's where I'm going. Imagine a time where you were one with nature. Breathe into it. Get into it. We don't have to rush it. Listen for the whispers of the wind. And now you're taking in everything around you. You feel the warmth of the sun on your skin, the air, the breeze. You know, let it feel it on your skin. You know, our skin has a really cool way of, of receiving and, and getting to the sensations and imagine that you can connect, connect with the grass, connect with every plant, every star, flowers, all of the natural elements around you. 
as you are taking it all in, consider how having the gift to connect with all of those elements could be used for the greater good of your people. It's a very special gift to be able to not just observe the natural elements around you, but to be able to interpret their meanings and their cues in order to assist your people in navigating their way to freedom. So as you take all that in, open your eyes. Let's step into Harriet Tubman's childhood kitchen with me. We're in the early 19th century, Dorchester County, Maryland. And we find Harriet Tubman's mother, Rit Ross, Rit, R-I-T, toiled in the big house on a plantation. Young Harriet, of course, she's there with her mother, observing and absorbing, most importantly, absorbing the art of cooking. Could you imagine it? Imagine it, if you will, my friends, my soil cousins. Harriet being the daughter of a cook, drawing strength and inspiration from her culinary roots. But little did she know at that very impressionable time in her young life that her culinary prowess would later become the means to fund her heroic missions. Those of you who may not know, you heard that right. Harriet Tubman self-funded her daring raids through her exceptional cooking skills. This was an overlooked aspect of her life unfortunately, but it provided her with a source of income that was a powerful tool in the fight for her freedom and certainly is something worth contemplating as those of us who seek out entrepreneurship are considering the ways that it can be applied towards some sort of activism or some way that we can help our communities. I think that Harriet Tubman is a wonderful example of that for the way that she used the funds that she made with her entrepreneurial ability that she applied to that skill that she had of being such a great cook. She even spent a summer working as a cook at a very fancy restaurant in Cape May, New Jersey, and she used those wages to finance a raid, and this raid freed nine enslaved people. As you can imagine, you got nine people in tow. Okay, you done cooked the things. You got the money. Now you're on the path to freedom. <laughs> so on that journey that she took with those nine people that she went on that journey with, nine of many, um, her resourcefulness continued on. She was also really masterful at foraging. And Another skill that we'll be considering is Harriet Tubman's ability to forage, uh, being the very resourceful person that we will come to know her as, as we get to know her more through these skills that she employed. Her resourcefulness in foraging and plant identification was a very crucial part of their journey. Picture weary freedom seekers fleeing in the winter, now, it was very common for that to be the time of year when people were setting out to claim their freedom because of the lapse in the timing of the attentiveness of the um, enslavers 
And there was also a time when they could anticipate that they could very likely be separated or sold off as books were getting finalized for the end of the year. And they were considering what would become of their, I'm using air quotes, stock of enslaved people. So that was definitely a time when winter was a time when enslaved people would break out for freedom. And of course, you can imagine that during a time like that, Food was scarce and survival for that reason was that much more paramount. We're considering very unfriendly and somewhat hostile environmental situations. Crops are scarce. It's just that's not the time of abundance and strawberries and butterflies <laughs> and all of the delicious herbs and, and mushrooms that may have been prevalent in the spring. But fortunately, Harriet knew that in those woods lay the keys to nourishment and endurance. As they wandered through the wilderness, Harriet Tubman was able to seek out seasonably reasonable herbs or fruits, such as sassafras, black cherry, pawpaw, and other resources that were, as you can imagine, native to the environments where they were uh, foraging and foraging towards freedom. However, as you can also imagine, not everything was safe to eat. I learned just in researching for this conversation with you all that mushrooms have an interesting way of having one that is very desirable and edible but having kind of a doppelganger that looks very similar to that same edible, perfectly nutritional mushroom and having a poisonous doppelganger. It's just a funny way that nature works, but clearly Harriet Tubman was not getting duped by that particular trick <laughs> as it was something that she considered very seriously and diligently in making sure that she knew what was safe to eat as a part of her duty as the conductor to make sure that her fellow travelers were nourished appropriately because that was all that they had. Becoming one with nature, military tactics of camouflage. That was the name of the game. If you wanted to escape enslavement, then you had to have some kind of knowledge about camouflaging yourself. And you had to have some kind of ability to be able to hide yourself, to escape the, the cunning and the veracity of those who would wish to capture you. So as we're talking about herbs, we have to acknowledge another fascinating aspect of Harriet Tubman that related to camouflage. Another thing that is worth reiterating, if I hadn't already said it enough, is that Harriet Tubman was not book literate. She was not one who was a reader uh, as she did not was not afforded the privilege of education. Fortunately, with her experience and the uh, teachers teaching of her father, who was a very who was one who was very resourceful in nature. And of course, we know that her mother was very proficient in the ways of the kitchen. Uh, Harriet Tubman was able to develop 
proficiency in other ways of being able to read, such as understanding nature well enough to know how to use it to camouflage herself. And all right, so in, in understanding Tubman's ability to be literate in the resources that were present in her natural surroundings, as they were heading north, they had to be very skilled in camouflage. And of course, having this ability to cunningly utilize all of the natural materials around her certainly helped with camouflage. Remember, we're talking about early to mid 19th century times. We're talking about a young woman who was not able to just pop into your army surplus and grab some camo gear, but really (laughs) had to understand (laughs) how to do so with the tools that were at her disposal, which would be things like tree bark and other natural materials, as you can imagine, would be present in that particular terrain. So in mastering the art of camouflage, she was coming one with her natural surroundings. And by doing so, being able to outwit those who sought to capture her and ensuring safety for the freedom seekers that she was guiding. One of the things that I am excited to share the most is the fact that actually really drew me into having a conversation about Harriet Tubman and her skills as a naturalist uh, when I found out that she was a bird caller. Uh, She possessed such a deep knowledge of the natural world. And one of her points of literacy being able to actually speak the language of birds and bird calls. She was able to indicate to those who were waiting for her signal for safety to know if they could come out or not. She was able to actually emulate the call of an owl. All right. Imagine being in the dark you're cold, you're scared, you're trying to figure out if you can move or not. You're waiting, you're listening, you hear the sound of an owl and that being your signal for safety. And that is such a an effective way to communicate. Uh, once again, considering under camouflage sound-wise, because no one would find that kind of sound to be um, suspicious. So very clever. I'm like, I wonder if I would have thought of that. (laughs) Probably not, because then y'all will be talking about me in future history, but this ain't about me. Let's keep it going. I just find it particularly fascinating to know that although she was not book literate, uh, she was literate in understanding and even speaking the language of birds and being able to emulate something like an owl in order to indicate safety using this very secret language to signal her arrival for the safety of those who were looking for her call as they were hiding in these dark and cold woods. I continue to be amazed by her knowledge of the natural world beyond what she was able to do with plants 
in addition to what she was able to do as far as funding her freedom-seeking ventures with her cooking abilities, she also was able to camouflage so well into her natural surroundings by emulating the sounds of birds and was able to just move with that much more ease because she had such a significant understanding of geography, mundane as migrating birds flying north in the summer or the growth of moss on the north side of trees. That was a very specific indication. Those kind of subtle clues were actually the compass of hope that was pointing them in the direction that they were trying to get to. Soil Cousins, let's raise our glasses to Harriet Tubman, a fearless warrior, a culinary genius and entrepreneur, a foraging queen, and ornithology aficionado. Her intimate knowledge of plants, bird calls, and her ability to navigate the geography of the terrain, of her natural terrain, enabled her to navigate danger and lead others to freedom. She reminds us that our connection to nature is more than just a source of sustenance, but it is also a wellspring of strength, wisdom, and resilience. We consider Harriet Tubman's journey through the natural world to serve as a testament, or I'm going to speak for myself, I consider it to be a testament of the indomitable spirit of freedom seekers. And I hope that you will agree that the power of the human spirit to overcome is very apparent in the way that she did everything that causes me to be in awe to this day, overcoming seemingly insurmountable obstacles. So as we celebrate and honor Tubman's legacy and multifaceted expertise, let us continue to recognize the importance of community resources like our beloved Cherokee Garden Library as part of the Atlanta History Center's many community resources. Of course, you can find that in Atlanta, Georgia. Having the opportunity to explore stories of remarkable individuals who shaped our history and learn more about these various subjects that we discussed. The library is a beacon that in, that is inviting us to dig deeper into the beauty of nature and wisdom. So you're invited to definitely pull up and join us. Harriet Tubman's legacy extends far beyond her famous exploits on the Underground Railroad because she was a master of her environment. She was a steward of the land and a visionary who understood the intricate connections between humans and the natural world. So, Soil Cousins, let us just take a moment, close your eyes if you need to, to appreciate the remarkable journey of Harriet Tubman. She was a woman whose expertise in cooking, herbalism, foraging, and ornithology is unfortunately overshadowed, but not today. <laughs> we celebrate her role as a freedom fighter as we honor her as a true environmentalist and someone who found solace, inspiration, and life-saving resources in the arms of our beloved Mother Nature. Well, that concludes our captivating episode where we celebrated Juneteenth by exploring the extraordinary expertise of our good sis Harriet Tubman in cooking, herbalism, foraging, and ornithology. You are encouraged to continue to join us, especially next time on Black in the Garden, as we continue to uncover these kinds of hidden stories 
these deep-rooted connections and inspiring individuals, among much, much more, who have shaped our world. Now, until then, I want you to keep digging, keep growing, and keep embracing the power of nature in your very own lives. I'm going to do the best to do that for myself. But before we close out entirely, I have a few personal recommendations of some books that I want to highlight. The Atlanta History Center. I want to make sure that you have a good start on where to begin if you're wanting to learn more about the subjects that I just brought up. Let's get into African-American culinary history, herbalism, and the botanical legacy of Africa through these titles that I'm going to mention. One being The Cooking Gene by Michael Twitty. Two, In the Shadow of Slavery by Judith Ann Carney and Richard Nicholas Rossimov. And three, Working the Roots by Michelle E. Lee. All right. Take note of the episode notes for these titles if you didn't get to write them down, because these books offer readers an opportunity to explore and deepen our understanding of the complex narratives that shaped African-American culinary traditions, botanical knowledge, and healing practices. In the Shadow of Slavery is one that I refer to quite a bit when I'm looking for sources of stories for botanical Black history that I share on Black in the Garden, especially on our social media. So without, I would be remiss if I did not mention those awesome titles as a few of my favorite personal recommendations to get you started. Enjoy. Thank you for tuning in to Black in the Garden and make sure that if you are not subscribed by now, you should be subscribed on all your favorite podcast players. Make sure that you keep up with things as they are taking place and being updated in real time on our social media channels. That includes Instagram at Black in the Garden, Twitter at Black in the Garden. Go to our website, blkinthegarden.com to get all those handles in one place learn more about what we have going on, what we've done, and what we got coming up in the future. We are very excited to have you join us there. Thank you so much for your support, Soil Cousins. Love, light, and soil. Soil.